This is a sermon given at St. David's Episcopal Church in Austin, Texas. Visit our website at stdave.org. This weekend and today have been a very busy weekend. Besides the Texas Tribune Conference we just hosted over the weekend, we've had our regular Sunday worship, of which we also have a baptism today. We had lots of formation opportunities going on, including our newcomers class for those who are seeking a church home and a community of faith to be nurtured and brought up in. And soon, uh, or actually we started our confirmation prep as well, where others who have decided to get confirmed or, or reaffirmed or received into the Episcopal Church will re recommit to their baptismal covenant. It is in this particular context, this faith community, and the sacraments we are sharing that my mind went to as I was writing today's sermon. I was reminded of our own baptismal vows. The BCP uses the words baptismal covenant in which we promise before our family, our friends, and most importantly, before God, that we will live and act in a particular way as followers of Christ. Promises that, honestly, no pressure, parents, promises that should not be taken lightly, to which we will always answer together when we say our covenant, I will with God's help. Promises like, will you seek and serve Christ in all persons, loving your neighbor as yourself? Will you proclaim by word and example the good news of God in Christ? And last but not least, and my personal favorite, will you strive for justice and peace among all people and respect the dignity of every human being? I will, with God's help. We come together today as a faith community, and we come together as we do today each week to listen to the teachings of Jesus and hear stories and parables like we did today. You see, parables can be a helpful tool that let us glimpse into the kingdom of God. They bring to life the reality and values of what the kingdom of God embodies and what Jesus is proclaiming and asking us to do. They tell us something about the true nature and the heart of our Creator and of our Savior. What does this parable say to you? Perhaps it says that God cares deeply for the downtrodden and justice will be delivered in the end. Certainly all of our readings for today support that and indicate that and that's one way to look at it. However, given the context of our previous parables leading up to today, and Jesus's encounters with the Pharisees over the last few chapters of Luke, I think we can go a little deeper than that. Jesus continues to challenge the Pharisees, these lovers of money, the ones who are constantly challenging Jesus for spending time with those tax collectors and sinners. 
And so to truly understand this parable, it's important to look at some of the specific details that are presented by Luke um, in this story. Jesus, of course, continues to address the Pharisees and warns them per our ending of the gospel last week. And he tells them, you cannot serve God in wealth. And to illustrate his point, Jesus goes into the telling of the parable we heard today about this unnamed rich man and this poor man named Lazarus. Important details, as I said, are laid out throughout this parable. And so did you notice at first how Lazarus is named, but the rich man is not? Luke ensures that one thing the poor man has that the rich man does not is the dignity of a name. The name itself means God heals or God helps. The rich man is just that, an unnamed rich man. And yet another important detail that the writer of Luke took time to describe is that what, uh, and to describe is what the men were wearing. The rich man, of course, was dressed in purple and fine linen and feasted sumptuously every day. The use of purple and linen was carefully chosen to describe the pure opulence of this rich man. You see, only the richest of rich wore purple and linen. Someone who, to use our terms for today, was filthy rich. In stark contrast to this rich man, at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, who was covered in sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table that even the dogs would come and lick his sores. Here we see unclean animals, dogs, come to lick the sores of this man, which adds to his wretchedness and the fact that he has a status of an outcast. However, when the two men die, their situations become completely reversed. Whereas the poor man was carried away by angels, to be with Abraham, the rich man was just buried and then found himself tormented in Hades. Lazarus now resides in comfort while the rich man is cast out and endures agony. Just as Lazarus once laid alone at the gate, longing for scraps of food, now the rich man has to look across a chasm from Hades and begs for mercy. Now, I don't believe the point of this story is to describe necessarily what happens to us after we die, but rather to highlight how we live our current lives, our earthly lives, and the choices that we make while here. In today's parable, the rich man's blindness to the plight of Lazarus and other, other people like him is what's most important. You should also notice that the rich man continues to try to manipulate the situation for his needs, even in the afterlife. He tells Father Abraham to send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and to cool his tongue. The rich man still hasn't grasped the significance of what has occurred and acts as though his former status remains. And he ends up asking Lazarus to do for him what he never did for Lazarus while they were alive. You see, in, the rich, in, the, in life, the rich man had received good things. 
and Lazarus evil things. But such reversals are at the heart of Luke's gospel. We've seen it over and over again, in which the promises of God and God's kingdom turn our social and economic expectations upside down. Nowhere in the parable do we get a sense that the rich man is necessarily a wicked man or terribly awful person, that this man did terrible things or came to his money dishonestly. We don't necessarily hear that. And so his sin is not that he has money or had money or that he was, as I say, filthy rich, but rather his sin is that he failed to see Lazarus and his desperate situation. It was his blindness to the needs of others that was his sin. It was his blindness and therefore his inaction to help Lazarus that was his sin. He could not do as our letter from Timothy says, we are to set our hopes on God. Rather than seeking earthly riches which are transitory, we are to be rich in good works, generous and ready to share, so that they may take hold of the life that really is life, life eternal. Our reading from Amos also presents a stark denunciation of the abuse of privilege and position by the rich and powerful. When reading Amos in conjunction with today's reading from Luke, we are reminded that it isn't necessarily a sin to be wealthy. Instead, we are being reminded that it is the misuse of that wealth and power that has consequences. Or when money and success and opulence are all that we desire, and we abuse or even ignore those who are suffering around us, it is then that we are in the wrong, just like the rich man for our parable. So this parable, I think, challenges us to simply pay attention to the poor and the suffering persons who surround us on a daily basis, those who dwell at our doorstep. We are a downtown church, and we see that every day. Or perhaps in other parts of our city and the world where we can choose to ignore what we, what's out there for fear that seeing it will perhaps make us uncomfortable. Think about some of those situations or people that we can choose to ignore. Perhaps those in sweatshops around the world who tailor our beautiful clothes. Women and children that are sex trafficked. Perhaps even the animals that we eat that suffer in horrendous situations in factory farms. Perhaps it's the immigrant at the border or even the immigrant that we use and manipulate as part of political stunts. The reality is, is that we live in a world where our systems benefit from the sufferings and abuse of others while keeping those who suffer invisible. And so this parable, I believe, asks us today, how do we treat others and especially those in need? Are we willing to see them, truly see them? The promises we made in our baptisms and the promises we will make again as we renew our baptism today and the call to follow Christ demand us to refuse to live without seeing the injustices perpetuated by these unfair and unjust systems. We must seek 
and acknowledge all those who suffer. And before we can have compassion around those who are around us, those who are in need, we must first acknowledge their presence. We must remove our blinders and see. We must see their needs and seek to really and truly understand them. We have to acknowledge that they too are children of God and, and worthy of respect and dignity. And so my prayer for today, my prayer for uh, everyone who's renewing their baptismal covenant today, may we leave here today with a renewed sense of our call as followers of Christ, our call to live out our promises made before God and each other, to see, to acknowledge the suffering in our midst, and to be moved to compassion and to action. Amen. You can find more lectures and sermons on iTunes by searching for St. David's Episcopal Church in Austin, Texas, or visit our website at stdave.org and click on the podcast button.